0: Just a reminder: next week is when we receive our annual Labor Day offering, and so I didn't mention that during the announcements. But pray about what God would have you to give. That helps sustain us during the off season. It helps us do some things to improve our buildings, so we're ready for groups. And we'll have groups in the in the off season. We'll have there's some weekends in October, I think, that we're close to being full. So pray for increased opportunity to do ministry even in the off season. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to look at the end of 15 and the beginning of. Chapter 16 of Matthew, and i am entitled a message, A Sign from Heaven. And i got to be honest, this is the way my mind works. I kept thinking all week about the comedian that says, here's your sign. You know what I'm talking about? He says, you know, stupid ought to hurt. And if people that were stupid would just wear a sign that says, I'm stupid, we would know not to expect that much out of them. A couple of the jokes he tells, one, he pulls into a service station with a flat tire. Guy comes out and says, that tire? He says, no. Believe it or not, I was driving around. These other three just swelled up. <laughs> One of my favorite was he's in the airport and he was sitting on his newspaper and some guy came up and said, are you reading that? He stood up, turned the page, sat back down. And he said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And we're going to see a question for, or a demand from the Pharisees and Sadducees today where they're asking Jesus for a sign and they ought to have a sign that says, I'm stupid. So let's look at the first Part of this passage, as we follow along in Matthew, the end of chapter 15. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on a mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. So Jesus, if you've been with us this summer and, and watched us walk through the Gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus teaching, healing, healing. And traveling, when it says he departed from there, he's over on the Mediterranean Sea in the town of Tyre. And so it's several days' walk to get back to the Sea of Galilee. And you've got to follow along in this passage. What we're looking at at the end of chapter 15, the beginning of chapter 16, is Jesus on one side of the Sea of Galilee and then on the other side. In fact, he's going to start out on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which was the Gentile side. Then they're going to go back over to the Jewish side, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, And as we close today, they're going to be back on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee, some say it looks like a a giant harp. Well, I don't know about that, but it's not that big of a a sea, and it's fresh water. It's Israel's main source of fresh water, so it's a very important body of water in Israel. But we see Jesus' beginning of his ministry, most of his ministry, circled around this Sea of Galilee, places like Capernaum and Bethsaida, and then you get over to Gadara and other places where he does ministry. And so we see him departing from there, and he's sitting on a mountain, and large crowds come up to him. Well, that's been the mo, hasn't it? Jesus gets away to Tyre, and I'm sure a large crowds following him over here. He heals a lady over there. He spends several days walking back to the Sea of Galilee, and the word gets out: Jesus is back. And pr- in fact, probably people have already been traveling from miles away to get there, and they realize we didn't come for no purpose. He's here. Jesus is here. So it literally says that large crowds bringing lame. Crippled, blind, mute, and many others. Lame means limping. The one that surprised me was crippled. What's the difference in being lame and crippled? Cripple means that you have, um, ma- you've been maimed, or it could mean you're actually missing an appendage, or it's unusable. And for Jesus to heal that, to, put, to restore something that hasn't worked, maybe for the entire life of the person, he's healing lame people, he's healing crippled people, he's healing blind people, he's healing mute. And then it says, and many others. And it says, they bring them and laid them at his feet. The word laid literally means to fling. Now, they do it carefully. (laughs) But think about that. that You've got to be a great friend to travel from miles away, maybe hundreds of miles, to bring your friend who can't walk. You know, if you're sick, you may make it to Jesus. If you've just got a disease, you may be able to come and travel yourself. But for the maim and the crippled and the blind, they couldn't make it without somebody bringing them so they bring them, and all they do is get them to Jesus' feet. And we'll see what happens after they do that. But I thought about that this week. That's the place to bring people, isn't it? To the feet of Jesus. Whether they're maimed, or crippled, or blind, or mute, or diseased, or sick. Or they need spiritual touch from Jesus. The main thing we bring people to Jesus for is, to, is for them to come to faith in Christ. And so I thought about that. Who would God lay on your heart that you need to bring to Jesus? And who would you, if you had to go to the doctor or something and you were lame or crippled or maimed or sick, who would bring you to the doctor to be healed? Well, ultimately, they're bringing them to Jesus, and he's healing all of them. And two things that the crowd does. First, it says they marveled. The word literally means to admire or to be struck with awe. Well, what did they expect? They had seen Jesus heal others, or at least they had heard about it, so they bring their friends to Jesus. But when he heals them, it says they are marveled. Because the power of God is on display, and folks, they had never experienced it before. They're struck with awe, and so they marvel. Something that defied human explanation is taking place, and the crowd marvels. Because the mute speaking, the cripple has been restored, the lame are walking, no need to be carried anymore. The blind can see. The mute can speak. Somebody had to bring you if you were lame, crippled, or blind, but now you can see. Now you can walk. Now you have that appendage restored. You're able to rejoice. And think about thousands of people. We know that he's about to feed 4,000, not counting the women and children, so some scholars think there may have been 20,000 people there. Some are shouting with joy because they've been healed. Some are crying with pain because they haven't been healed yet. Jesus had not gotten to them yet. So how many does he heal? Hundreds, if not thousands of people. Phenomenal. So they're struck, first of all, with awe. And then notice this. Can I tell you as a preacher, I've never noticed this before. I noticed it this week for the first time. They glorified the God of Israel. Why is that significant? Because these weren't Jews. Who were their gods? Their gods were Zeus and Apollo. Their gods were Greek or Roman gods. who couldn't They, they couldn't heal them. They may have even called out to their Greek god, heal me, to no effect. Why? Because they are myth. They're not real. They're part of your imagination. You've given credit to them for things in creation that they created it, but they didn't. They're, they're not living. They're not real. You can make images of them and carry them around in your hand, but we're talking about the God of Israel. So Jesus heals them, and the first thing they do is marvel. The second thing they do is they glorify the God of Israel. What do they do? They shine the spotlight on Almighty God. And glorify him. Isn't that awesome? So they're on the Greek side. And Jesus walks up to his disciples. Kind of calls a holy huddle. In verse 32. Calls his disciples together and says. I feel compassion for the crowd. Why is he feeling compassion? Well he's already demonstrated his compassion by healing them. By restoring them. But he's demonstrating compassion. Because it's been three days. These people hung out with him for three days. And they haven't. If they had food, it's run out by now. So he wants to feed them. So he wants to take care of their physical needs, but he also wants to take care of their spiritual needs. But it's hard to take care of somebody's spiritual needs when they're hungry and about to pass out. So Jesus calls his disciples together, and I don't know if he's rebuking them a little bit to say, why haven't you all already fed them? Because what do they say? Well, where are we going to get food to feed them? We we, we don't have resources for that. Had they forgotten just a few chapters ago that he fed 5,000? Have they forgotten the basketfuls that they picked up? And we'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus feels compassion for them, so he doesn't send them away hungry. And the other thought is, was there prejudice on the part of the disciples? Because the disciples belonged on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. These were outsiders. People on that side of the sea didn't like people on this side of the sea. They were Gentile. They were Greek. They weren't part of the covenant family. And yet they were welcomed by Christ. The Gospel of John starts this way, verse 11 of chapter 1. He came to his own. Do you understand that? Jesus came to the Jewish group, to the Jewish people. He came to his own, but his own, the ones who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who's he talking about? Us. I wasn't born a Jew. I, was, I wasn't born into the covenant family. I couldn't claim Abraham as my father or grandfather. I was outside the covenant of faith, and yet Jesus came and saved me. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that an awesome thought? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So I wasn't born a child of God. But a Jew would say, I was born that way. I wasn't born into the family. But as many as believe in his name, he gave them the right. I've been given the right. If you're a child of God, if you've trusted Christ your Lord and Savior, you need to relax or, or be have peace today that you're part of the family of God not by physical birth but by spiritual birth that's good news folks So let's look at the right on the heels of him feeding maybe 20,000 people 4,000 men not counting the women and children and I don't know why it says it that way in scripture why don't they count everybody I don't know but the same thing happened with 5,000. He said he fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So they estimate there may have been 25,000 at the feeding. And isn't it interesting? The 5,000 are fed on the Jew side, Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. The 4,000, maybe 20,000, are fed on the Greek side. So he's, he's reaching all people. And his, his ministry is expanding beyond the Jewish house because they've rejected him. So just like last week, in the midst of miracles taking place, Disease, sickness being healed. The, the Pharisees and scribes at this point come to him and say, we got a bone to pick with you. Your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And you're like, how, how inappropriate is that even to be? Why don't you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're healing people. You're displaying the power of God. Did they see him heal people? Yeah, they just didn't give credit to God for it. They thought he was of the devil. So the Pharisees and now Sadducees come. The interesting thing you need to know about the Pharisees and Sadducees is they despised each other. They didn't agree with each other on anything. The Pharisees were generally from the working class. They made their living from a trade. They were more conservative and fundamental. The Sadducees were more of the aristocracy. They made money from the temple selling concessions of money, changing and selling, uh, money changing, selling and uh, sacrificial lambs. They didn't care for tradition. They didn't mind making religious, cultural, or political compromise. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in eternity. The Sadducees thought once you die, that's it. You better live it up now, your best life now. In fact, Paul, this is interesting, Paul's arrested in Acts chapter 23. He's arrested more than one time, but they're plotting to put Paul to death. In verse 6, look at Acts chapter 23, verse 6. For perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. So what's Paul perceiving? Paul's under arrest. The people accusing him were Pharisees on one side, Sadducees on the other side. Look how smart Paul is. Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Who has he just offended? The Sadducees. So they turn on each other. If you read the rest of the passage, they turn on each other, and the governor gets Paul out of this situation because he's afraid they're going to rip him to shreds. Isn't that great? God gave him the wisdom and insight to say, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a child of Pharisees. I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees, that would have ticked them off because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. In fact, if you read further into Acts chapter 23, there's a group of men who make a vow. We won't eat or drink anything until he's been put to death. So God spares his life. So Pharisees and Sadducees come testing Jesus. And here's what they ask for. Give us a sign. Give us an attesting miracle that proves that you are who you say you are. That's why I want to give them a sign. You're stupid. Have you been paying attention? Jesus has just healed the lame, the crippled, the mute, the blind, the diseased. He's been doing that. In fact, it's amazing to me. He he heals all of them. It says that they bring him hundreds if not thousands of people. He heals all of them. Have you been paying attention? You don't need another sign. Their sign's already been given. The sign of his birth. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He fulfills all the prophecies of his birth. It's announced to the shepherds on the hillside by the host of the angels saying, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. It was displayed at his baptism. Had they heard about his baptism, that the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and they hear out of heaven the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Had they paid attention even to his current ministry, He's been healing people. Well, they thought, yeah, he's got power to heal people. It's just not coming from the God of Israel. So they want a sign. And so Jesus says, okay, you want a sign in the heavens? Let's talk about that. Let me read verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and, testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign. But he replied, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. Jesus says, you want a sign in the heavens? You're the ones that say if it's red sky at night, tomorrow's going to be, in fact, you may have heard, red red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Anybody ever heard that? Well, that goes all the way back to the times of Christ. He says, are you able to discern those kind of signs, and yet you don't recognize the signs of the time? God is doing something. God is moving on planet Earth. God has sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. There's your sign. God is already meeting the signs. So do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, and yet you don't know how to discern the signs of the time? He says, an evil and adulterous generation, literally a hurtful or unfaithful generation, seeks after signs. Jesus is basically calling them, you're adulterous, you're unfaithful. In fact, if I gave you a sign, you wouldn't give credit to God for it. The French atheist Voltaire, who was a historian and a writer in France back in the 1700s, listen to what he said. Even if a miracle should be wrought in the open marketplace before a thousand sober witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses than admit a miracle. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees are doing. Miracles are taking place, something that only can be explained by God. The power of God has been demonstrated on earth already. There's been signs. You don't need another attesting miracle. And yet they didn't see it. They were blind. Just like the ones that Jesus had healed from physical blindness, they wouldn't come to Jesus to be healed of spiritual blindness. But I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lame, but now I walk. In fact, he said the only sign that's going to be given you is the sign of Jonah. He's already told him that before with the scribes and Pharisees. He told him that a few chapters ago. But he says it again. What's he talking about? In the same way that Jonah was in the belly of a sea monster for three days, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. But Jonah came out of that sea monster. And I'm using the word sea monster because we don't know if it's a fish or a whale. I, I kind of think it's a whale. How many of you think Jonah was swallowed by a whale? part of the reason for that is whales are mammals so they have to breathe so he's giving oxygen to Jonah I don't know I'm not a scientist but Jonah was in the belly of what the literal translation is a sea monster and where does he end up? he ends up in Nineveh where he's trying to run from God trying to get as far away from Nineveh as he could but Jesus said that's the only sign I'm going to give you and what you're going to notice is that I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be dead and buried but on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead that's going to be your sign Well, when they saw that sign, what did they do? What did the Pharisees and Sadducees do? They got together and conspired and brought all the guards in and said, we're going to bribe you. Yeah, we know Jesus has risen from the dead. We know that he's appeared over 500 on one occasion. But we're going to spread a lie, and a lot of people are going to believe it. So here's some money, which if you're one of the guards, of course you're going to take that because the penalty for what you've just done is death. You've allowed the body to be taken out of a sealed tomb. So they said, this sounds like the best option we've been given today. So they spread the lie. So they had seen the sign, but they couldn't accept that it was from God. From this point on, it says that Jesus left them and went away. From this point on, his focus, for the most part, is going to be on his disciples. He's not going to be around religious leaders or crowds anymore. And so they're, the last thing today is a sign of warning. So they've come to the other side. Most of the time in Scripture... Most of the time when it says other side, it's talking about the Greek side, and that's what it's talking about here. So Jesus started on the Greek side, fed 4,000, back to encounter the Pharisees and Sadducees on on the western side where the Jewish side was. Now they're back on the other side. It doesn't say how Jesus got there. You ever notice that? Jesus went away. The disciples meet him on the other side. When they get there, he's there, or he gets there right after they do. Did he walk across the water again? Did he walk around? I don't know. Something to think about over lunch. But Jesus talks to his disciples, and it's interesting, let me read verses 5 and following. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we didn't bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the the five loaves of the 5,000? And how many basketfuls you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000? And how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I can't that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 12. Then they understood that it, he did not say beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they get to the other side, and Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, beware of the leaven of and so they, they get together. He's, he's th- he knows we forgot the bread. He's fussing at us because we don't have bread. And Jesus says, why are you fussing at each other? Don't you remember the 5,000? The reason I think that there were 12 baskets full with the 5,000 is each disciple had to look down and say, not only did we feed all this multitude of people, but there's leftovers. And then he uses, don't you remember the feeding of the 4,000? In large bat uses a different word. It's not even the root of the same word. The first one's a little one-person basket. The other is a hamper. In fact, the same words used for the Apostle Paul when they led him out of the wall of Damascus. you remember that? That's a big basket. Seven baskets full. My thought is, where were the leftovers? You wouldn't be out of bread if you carried your leftovers with you. But, But whatever happened, whatever they did with the leftovers, they're gone, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they don't have any bread. And Jesus starts talking about leaven. Leaven's like yeast. Leaven causes bread to rise before you bake it. And they, that's what they thought, physical bread. And he says, how is it you don't understand? I'm not talking about leaven of, the, of bread, but I'm talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. We, we looked last week at the fact the Pharisees are more concerned in their own tradition. They, they elevated tradition to Scripture. In fact, that's what they're talking about. Why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? They're breaking the tradition of the elders. Jesus says, why do you break the commandment to honor your father and mother? Well, let's close by asking this question. What about the leaven of the Pharisees in our day and time? What false teaching are we susceptible to today? I want to read a passage of Scripture and just make a few applications. First, chapter 24 of Matthew. You don't have to turn there. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it. Verse 1, chapter 24. Jesus came out from the temple, and he was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the sermon on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples are asking for a sign. And Jesus answered and said to them, See that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdoms against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Folks, we're living in the last days. It's closer to the return of Christ than it's ever been. Well, duh. But I believe it can't be long. Look at the signs. The same thing that Jesus told the Pharisees. Are you not able to to recognize the signs? In fact, the Bible tells us we shouldn't be caught off guard when he returns. No, we don't know the day or the time. Only the Father knows that. But there's coming a day when the Father in heaven is going to say to Jesus, Go get your bride. And we may be alive when that happens. If not, we're going to experience it from heaven, aren't we? There's your sign let me ask you a few questions to close. How much of the world has gotten into your theology? Folks, there are false prophets on television. There are false prophets on podcasts. There are false prophets on the radio. You've got to be careful. If somebody says something that you've never heard before, find out where it is in Scripture. I had a seminary professor say, if you're studying a sermon, you come up with an idea nobody's ever had in 2,000 years, it's probably wrong. So be careful. Be careful that you don't buy the smile on the television or the packaged worship. And don't recognize that it's it's heresy. If somebody tells you something, make sure it squares with Scripture. When I preached in Eastern Europe, the Iron Curtain Falls, and in in the 1990s I was able to preach in Ukraine. And so I had several conversations with people, and they said, well, and I could tell the question they were asking me was because there were cults over there the same time I was over there. And they were asking for clarification. I said, here's the deal. If somebody tells you something and can't prove it from Scripture, don't believe it as the days get closer to the return of Christ. Know your scripture. Know the difference between what somebody says on television and what is true. And not all TV preachers are bad. Some of them are. Some of them are worth listening to. Some of the podcasts are worth listening to. There's never been a day and age when we've got more access to preachers, is there? Some of them you ought to pay attention to. Some of them you could grow from. Some of them you could benefit from. But make sure that what they tell you is squares with scripture. Second question. Are you waiting for a sign? If so, what sign is it? I've heard some people say, well, you know, I'll come to faith in Christ when he writes it on the sky. Or I want a Damascus Road experience. God's done that before, and he may do that for you. It may be something similar to that, but it may just be a gentle tug on your heart that you recognize, I desperately need a Savior. And Jesus is calling you to himself. What sign are you looking for? And my last question, I'll close. How would you live today if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Let's pray together.